Welcome back. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Two hours of Sports Analytics Live every Wednesday morning, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern. Some combination of the hosts are here. With all the hosts are here at the moment. Eric Bradlow, Audie Weiner, Shane Jensen. This is Cade Massey. We also have guest co-host Michael Salfino, sports writer for longtime sports writer for the Wall Street Journal. Now 5:38. Both still and, and the and the Athletic for fantasy. I don't. I didn't know that. I love the Athletic. It's a yeah. great platform. My gosh, that's a good platform. But for fantasy. Just yeah. for fantasy. He's got, he's got yeah. the fantasy thing going on also. And you guys, You guys can jump in here at one wharton That's one 942 7866 You can hit us up on email, businessradio at com, Or hit us up on Twitter. Great way to reach us is on Twitter, at WMoneyBall for that. In our next segment, we got Maria Konnikova coming back on the show. We talked to her at the MIT conference earlier this year. Could not be happier to have you. Maria, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. We're doing great. Where are you calling in from this morning? I'm coming in from New York, which you will probably be able to tell at some point during the conversation because I'm assuming we'll hear some sirens at some <laughs> yeah. point. Well, we're accustomed to that. Not a big deal. And, you know, here in West Philly, we occasionally have some sirens as well. Maria is a New York Times bestselling author. She's a journalist and provocatively, she's a professional poker player now for Poker Stars Team Pro. She has two bestsellers, The Confidence Game and, before that, Mastermind, How to Think Like Sherlock Holmes. She has a new book coming out this year, The Biggest Bluff, about her foray into poker. And it's one of the reasons we're talking to Maria. What's What we're going to get to in that book, which is we learned while we were talking to her in, in, at MIT, is that, Maria, you said this book was an excuse to write about skill versus chance. Is that is that right? Is that still how you're feeling about it? Absolutely, absolutely. So before I started on this project, I actually didn't really know anything about poker, didn't care about poker. So it's not like the poker was an excuse to get into something else. Rather, I wanted to write about chance and Mm -hmm. the role that luck plays in our lives Mm -hmm. and how we can learn to tell the difference between what we're controlling and what we're not controlling. Because, you know, the human mind is so, so bad at doing that. We love taking credit for things when they're going well and say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm so good. I'm doing so well. Mm -hmm. And then when things don't go well, we say, oh, you know, all these excuses, this happened and that happened. Mm -hmm. But we're really bad at actually objectively saying, okay, I'm my skill was responsible for this element. And then I just got really lucky or I got really unlucky in this in this particular instance. And I really wanted to dive into that. So, Maria, that's it's so central to what we do here. I mean, this is a sports analytics show. and, And in some ways. The first thing sports analytics tries to do is to pull signal out of noise, out of noisy, you know, performance statistics and observations that we make. It's the number one job, really, of sports analytics is to is to parse skill from luck. And so we're super sympathetic to the enterprise. Where does that motivation come from? Why were you fired up about that particular issue? You're saying it's not just about, you know, sports or gambling. It's about life, which I couldn't agree more. But where does that come from for you? Well, it comes from two uh, two separate places. Um, First, it comes from what I actually studied. Um, So I have a PhD in psychology that I've never used. Um, I was never going into academia. I was always being a full-time writer. Um, Didn't realize about the poker player part, but but it it was never for academia. It was more to understand the human mind. But the thing that I studied was self-control. And I actually studied a very specific part of self-control, which is the um, illusion of control. Mm -hmm. So basically, when we feel 
like we're in control, but we're actually not. Mm-hmm. And so it was a really interesting phenomenon that I discovered when I was in grad school that people who are really, really good normally, um, oftentimes when you put them in an environment that's stochastic where there is a lot of noise, um, they don't learn well. They get overconfident. They say, oh, you know, I'm very smart. I know what I'm doing normally, so I'm just going to keep on doing mm-hmm. what I've always done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of, I think that had planted the seed in my mind that very smart people are very capable of making this mistake of mistaking control for mm-hmm. um, for actual for chance. Um, but then there were a lot of things that happened in my life personally um, right around the time that the confidence game um, came out. And I'll get into this in, in the book, but, you know, there were some deaths in the family, people losing jobs, people getting sick, just a lot of stuff happened all at once. Mm-hmm. And I think that humans really start thinking about the role of chance when things go wrong. Mm-hmm. When, right. when everything's right. going wonderfully, you don't really stop to, to think, oh, you know, I'm really lucky. Everything is great. You know, I'm healthy. Everything is going really well. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when things start going poorly, that's when you actually that's when you actually wake up to the role of chance. Right, right. Um, and so and so in, in in that particular instance, I just thought, you know, this is really interesting. I want to write about this. I want to explore this more deeply. But it's such a deep question. It's such a philosophical question. It's so easy to just get lost in the weeds right away and start, you know, going down a religious rabbit hole or a philosophy rabbit hole. So I needed something to anchor it down. And that's how I got to poker. No, it's, it's an amazing it's, a, it's an amazing and unexpected story for writing a book about poker. So, Maria, this is Eric Bradlow. Um, I have a question to you about this and about poker. So I'm a poker player, not at the professional level, but obviously I, I play a bit. Um, why did you choose poker as it's a game of incomplete information? Like, you don't observe the other people's cards most of the time. And so why choose this as a venue to learn about both chance and, if you'd like, apply your psychology degree to the human psyche? Mm -hmm. Well, actually, that's the exact reason why I chose it. So I was looking at a lot of different things, and I needed something where you could actually parse apart the role of skill and chance and, and have a good analogy to life. And obviously, if you pick a game like chess, it's a game of complete information. So everything is out there. There's always a right decision. And you could theoretically always calculate exactly what you want to do. Well, if you want an analogy for life, that's a really, really bad analogy because life is a game of incomplete information. I don't know your motivations. I don't know what proverbial cards you hold. You know, I don't know a lot of things and you don't know what I know. And so we go back and forth in this kind of cycle of, you know, what do you know? What do I know? And it's endlessly regressive. And so poker is actually a beautiful analogy for this because it captures that uncertainty. It captures that element of never quite knowing and having to act anyway. So you act with the most confidence you can given the information you have at the moment, knowing that it's going to be incomplete. And I think that that's what makes human decision-making so difficult because we want certainty and we want to know that we're making the quote-unquote right decision. And it's very difficult to do that with incomplete information because you'll never know for sure because, you know, the the world is full of noise. And poker is a really great tool for disambiguating that and for figuring out, you know, okay, well, I have enough information to make this decision with 
certainty, and that's good enough. Right, right. and, and, and it's, that's that's the other side of poker as perfect for what you're doing because it's incomplete, but it's finite, and we we can understand these probabilities. It's just probabilistic, but we understand them quite uh, well, and so it gives you this great place to study these things. Just probabilistic. So, Maria, this is Adi Weiner. I just wanted to interject that I have read your, your book, The Confidence Game. I really really enjoyed it. Big fan of your work. Look forward to your next book, but I'm going to ask Thank you about you. poker. Um, I've written actually extensively on the, the balance between skill and chance in games in general and poker in specific, also mm-hmm. fantasy sports. Um, and I wanted to ask you to weigh in. I have to run and teach, so it's my last chance. Um, to weigh in on the... the, the uh, the big debate in, in poker between what makes a successful poker player is it knowing the odds, knowing the probabilities, playing the right strategies, pot odds, yeah. pot odds and, 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 and being able to calculate and understand what information means and being a really good almost mathematician about, about poker or reading players and, under, and getting all that information yeah. from, I mean, where do you fall in on, the, on, the, on that debate? Because I mean, some poker, professional poker players, you know what? Just it's all math, people. And others say, yeah. no, no, it's reading players knowing when someone's <laughs> bluffing. So where do you fall? So, um, so first of all, let me just caveat this by saying that I'm a live poker player. So live and online are, are a little Hugely bit different. different. Yeah. Um, so, so for live games, I actually, the way that I look at that question is the same as I look at it when, as a psychologist, I get asked about nature versus nurture, which is that you can't pull them apart. They're both incredibly important and they both work together. So the best players in the world are going to be able to, you know, use the solvers and tell you how they're supposed to act in a certain spot. But as with any algorithm, as with any mathematical thinking, your output is only as good as your input. And what they can also do is read players and change their inputs accordingly, figure out, oh, you know, based on my read of this player, his range or the hands that he's playing is actually going to be very different from what I would expect from someone who's on my level who's playing absolutely game theory optimally. So my game theory optimal equilibrium actually has to change as a result, and that comes from reads. So if you look at some of the players who are just crushing right now, um, so someone like Stephen Chidwick, for instance, you if you look him up right now, he's one of the best tournament players in the world, and you see that he has just this almost perfect knowledge of solutions in any given spot, and yet he deviates from them. And he makes these incredible creative plays based on reads of opponents. And I think you need both. I think people who are too mathematic, who are too robotic, are going to lose out and are not going to do as well. And people who just are completely field players are also going to be destroyed in certain situations. Mm -hmm. And I think the best players understand that and know how to combine the two in a creative fashion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're talking to Maria Konnikova. She's a New York Times bestselling author, journalist, and professional poker player for She Plays for Poker Stars Team Pro. She has a new book coming out. The release date's 2020, I believe. The Biggest Bluff yes. is coming out about her experience with poker and that as an exploration of this luck versus chance issue in life. Maria, you, you've been successful, which is wonderful, great fun, and, and has opened up new opportunities and has got to make the book even more interesting. To what do you attribute your success as a poker player? <laughs> to, uh, to a lot of luck and some skill. I think, that, I think that there are a lot of elements playing into this. Um, first, there's obviously the luck element. I mean, I had no idea whether or not I was going to be good. Um, and so it just so happened that I had a lot of skills that um, I had already developed in other areas of my life that helped me at the poker table. And such, I also got incredibly as. lucky that one of the best players in the world, Eric Seidel, agreed to coach me. Right, and right, right. he got 
a lot of other great players to also agree to coach me. So, so just kind of, I had a very good starting point with just access to the best resources in mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I actually, for, you know, I left the New Yorker to play poker and focused on it 100% before I had won a single cent. I knew that I would have to, you know, completely immerse myself in mm-hmm. this. And so I studied seven days a week, you know, sometimes 10, 11 hours a day, and just worked really, really hard. Hmm. Um, and I think that that's part of it as well. I don't think there's a shortcut in the sense that, you know, you can pick up a few things and then go crush. Mm-hmm. I do think that you have to put in a lot of effort and really think through it. And I I think one of the skills that I brought to the game is that I know how to study well. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've studied a lot of other things in the past. And so I know how to pick up new languages and new skills. And I think that that really helped me optimize my learning. And then, of course, the cards in some crucial situations broke my way. I think Uh. any professional poker player, especially tournament players, will tell you that you have to be skilled and you have to play well. But to win a tournament, you have to run well. You have to get lucky. There are some incredible players who have never won a major title in their life who are much better than I am. And I somehow managed to win one within a year of Starting to play poker, right? So, so I think that that was, you know, yes, sure. I had picked up a lot, and I had picked up a certain number of skills, but I also got incredibly lucky, and I can't ignore that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maria, when we talked earlier, you talked about your book being not just a story about an investigation into luck and chance, but also like learning how to live with luck and chance, learning how to navigate a world that's a mix of luck and chance. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with that? So wandering into poker from scratch, this world that is this mix of luck and chance, what did did you learn about how to navigate that? What did you learn about life that translates from your experience with poker? (laughs) Well, first of all, it's incredibly difficult. Um, And I think that that's something that I knew going in, that the human mind just is really uncomfortable with uncertainty and with not knowing and with ambiguous information and ambiguous circumstances. And so I knew that going in, but poker really forces you to, you know, either deal with it or leave the game. I don't Mm. think you can play poker if you are looking for certainty, if you're looking for a closure at any given situation. Mm. And I think a lot of players who burn out, who end up, not doing well or who end up just not enjoying the game are people who want to know that every time they have pocket aces, which is you know, the best hand you can be dealt pre-flop, they're going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just lose it completely <laughs> when their aces get cracked, as they're supposed to. But you start learning, oh, you know, they're suppo- this is supposed to happen 25% of the time, and look, it happened. Um, sometimes I'm going to, you know, I got my money in as a 98% favorite. And that 2% happened, right. and I'm out of the tournament. Right. And you start experiencing that. And when you experience it over and over and over, it gets your mind used to disambiguating the decision process from the outcome. And it gets you to realize that, you know, sometimes you have a near-perfect situation, 98%, you know, when do we ever have that certainty? And you still end up in that 2%. So Maria, and you realize that, you know, statistics don't care. Right. But Maria, it, this definitely echoes my experience with professional sports gamblers. I, you know, the, 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 you know, this from your psychological training, the, 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 the best calibrated forecasters that we know of for a long time have been weathermen because they get this 
feedback on a regular basis. And so they turn out to be, be yeah. very good with their judgments. I would posit that the best I know are professional gamblers because they put real money on the line, pay a lot of attention and get feedback on the regular and they get very good at exact and riding up. They ride the ups and downs better than other people do. And I suspect poker players are the same way. My question for you is you want this book to be about life and you're a psychologist and you understand human psychology. What chances do people have to get better at this thing you're talking about? Getting better at having the odds in your favor and it not working out and not having it wreck your life. How can we get, how can the layperson? Do you have get, advice as far as yeah. kind of how we yeah. can go without putting in 70 hours a yeah, week into right. learning poker, how <laughs> we could actually become better with dealing with uncertainty? Well, I mean, the glib answer is to buy the book when it comes out, but that's actually, that's the point of the book is to help people learn to deal with that mm -hmm. and to kind of, and to talk through kind of the, the coping strategies, the mental strategies that will allow you to you know, look past what's happening in the moment and learn to kind of focus on the things that you can control, your decision process your reaction to things. Basically, how do you maximize your upswings, which you will have, and how do you minimize your downswings, which mm -hmm. you will inevitably have? Mm -hmm. Because I think that I think that also what makes kind of the absolute best poker players, at some point, you know, the best players in the world all have just this beautiful handle on all things mathematical, right? They understand all of these situations. They run all of these simulations. They know what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But the ones who end up really standing out, are one of the things that sets them apart is their mental game, is their ability to react to these different things, their ability to control themselves emotionally, their ability to control their reactions, their thinking process, how they analyze things after the fact. So, Maria, let me ask you. Let me ask you more. And I think that that's crucial. This is Eric Bradley. Just a brief question about learning. Do you ever play hands knowing that you may be playing an expected value negative hand, but the purpose is learning? Yes, absolutely. But then I would I would say that you can look at expected value differently. If you're looking mm. at expected value as over this one specific hand, sure, sometimes I will do a negative expected value play because I want information, because information is valuable. And to me, the expected value of that information over the course of this game is actually higher than what I'm losing. And to be clear, the information you guys are talking about is information on somebody else's playing style or their yes. tails. Yeah, yes. that's so interesting. Exactly. Right. So, for instance, if I really want to know, okay, what did you, you know, what did you play this way? You know, I'm very curious. I want to know because I'll be playing with you all day. Um, and, you know, this bet on the river is very small um yeah, and right, right. i realized that i'm actually losing and that there's no way my hand can win and that the only way i can win is by bluffing you and by raising you but i don't want to do that i'm actually going to call even though i know it's a losing play because i want to see what you have yeah, i actually want you to show me your cards and the value of seeing that is worth it to me so sometimes you'll do something like that um, because you know that this is not a one-shot interaction. Mm -hmm. If you look at it in, in game theory terms, this is a re repeat interaction. Mm -hmm. You're mm -hmm. going to be playing in this situation for a long time. And so the expected value starts being calculated not just in one hand, but over the course of mm -hmm. a day.
Mm-hmm. It, it takes us back to, to sports more generally, actually, because we're sure that you know play callers do this. Offensive, defensive play callers in the NFL and college football do this for sure. Listen, Maria, we have to let you. Sadly, we have to let you go, but we really appreciate your taking the time to talk with us this morning. We wish you the best with the book. Every time Thank we you. talk about it, I get more excited about it. So I really hope it goes well for you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely, Maria Konnikova, New York Times best-selling author. Uh, former New Yorker writer. She's a great follow on Twitter, by the way, at M. Konnikova, at M. Konnikova. If you are on Twitter, she's a good one to stay in touch with. That is the first half of Wharton Moneyball. We still have a half to go. Come back and join us after the break.